Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 27, recorded on July 23rd, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice. So please, 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 as always, do your own homework. Um, before I jump in, I just wanted to send a shout out. I picked up a lot of new listeners on Samsung podcast last week. And so just wanted to uh, welcome everybody on board. Uh, hopefully you enjoy the podcast going forward. Starting out with the market update, stocks dropped on Friday to end a three session winning streak after week earnings reports from Snap and Verizon offset strong numbers from American Express. The weakness in the tech sector included drops for Alphabet, Microsoft, Apple, and Meta platforms ahead of their reports next week. And with investors jittery again over the state of the economy, despite the pullback at the end of the week, the S&P 500 index and Dow Jones Industrial Average posted their biggest weekly gain in a month, while the NASDAQ notched its largest advance since July 8th. In the bond pits, The 10-year Treasury yield ended the week at 2.75%, and the two-year closed at 2.97%. Meanwhile, the Fed Fund's futures market swung around quite a bit all week, but settled at an 80% probability that the Federal Reserve's Policymaking Committee lifts the benchmark rate by 0.75 percentage points next week, and a close to 20% chance of a full percentage hike. Moving on to Bitcoin news, uh, this one here is from Cointelegraph, it was posted on July 22nd. Large institutions sold $5.5 billion in Bitcoin since May, and we're still here. Massive sell-offs from institutions appear to have been the driving force behind the drop in Bitcoin price since May, according to an analyst from Arcane Research. Since May 10th, as much as 236,237 Bitcoin, worth $5.452 billion at the time of writing, has been sold by, quote, large institutions, mostly as a result of forced selling. A Twitter thread from Arcane Research Analyst Vettel Lund details how and when many institutional Bitcoin holders began selling their stacks. Lund stated that it all started with Doquan. Uh, and that's true. And they've actually included a nice little chart in their article. I'm going to include a link uh, to the article in the show notes. But uh, it did start with the Luna Foundation. Uh, they sold 80,393 Bitcoin. Uh, number two was Tesla, which I'll talk about next. Uh, and then um, Purpose BTC ETF. And then... Uh, Three, uh, I think it was Three Arrows Capital-related GBTC holdings, Celsius WBTC loan is next, and then other WBTC-related redemptions, and then another 3AC-related contagion, <laughs> public BTC miners selling in June. Uh, so anyway, very, very interesting. 
The Luna Foundation Guard, which controlled funds for the terror project, dumped 80,081 BTC in a failed effort to protect the peg of its native Terra USD Classic stablecoin in May. Terra's collapse appears to put pressure on some Bitcoin miners to sell. Lund estimates that miners sold 19,056 coins between May and June. In some cases, miners were selling more than their monthly production, likely drawing from reserves. Lund noted that as miner selling peaked, Elon Musk Tesla also hit the red button and sold 29,060 Bitcoin by the end of Q2. At the same time, the Three Arrows Capital crypto investment firm was over leveraged and owed lenders 18,193 BTC and other coins equivalent to 22,054 BTC. Lund also added that a massive 24,510 BTC redemption took place at the Canadian Purpose Bitcoin Exchange Traded Fund in late June, creating further fire sale pressure on the market. That redemption accounted for 51% of that ETF's holdings. Despite the crypto market seeing tremendous sell pressure from institutions in recent months, the Bitcoin market remains remarkably resilient. Trading volumes have also remained higher through the 2022 market downturn compared to the peak of the 2017 bull market. On December 17, 2017, Bitcoin's daily trading volume reached a cycle peak of $12 billion, while daily volume in July 2022 has been above $20 billion, according to CoinGecko. CEO of Singapore-based market maker Presto Labs, Yong Jin Kim, agreed with Lund that liquidations from 3AC and others caused the significant price drop in June, but believes the Bitcoin price will return to $30,000 within the next few months. He told Cointelegraph on Thursday that those liquidations pushed Bitcoin price below the fundamental equilibrium price, leading him to believe that prices will return to $30,000 in the next few months. Kim added that it will take time for retail investors to regain their confidence in crypto after what they endured over the past few months, and that institutional investments will rise again. He's quoted as saying, I think the retail sentiment is completely broken, so it will take some time before we restore confidence in the market. But there will be some reversal by the end of this year, counteracting the liquidations. Lund concluded his thread by stating, uh, and, and quote, I tend to lean in favor of forced selling and contagion-related uncertainty being done for now. We will likely slump, pump, and dump in choppy conditions in the coming period. Uh, moving on to the next uh, article here. This is from CNBC, dated July 20th. Tesla has dumped 75% of its Bitcoin holdings a year after touting long-term potential. Early last year, Tesla invested $1.5 billion in Bitcoin, banking on what the electric car maker called the digital currency's long-term potential. The company has already sold three-quarters of its holdings. As of the end of Q2, we have converted approximately 75% of our Bitcoin purchases into fiat currency, Tesla said in its second quarter earnings statement on Wednesday. The company said those sales added $936 million in cash to its balance sheet. It's a rapid retreat for Tesla and CEO Elon Musk, who was a heavy crypto booster during last year's run-up, frequently tweeting about various digital currencies. The price of Bitcoin has lost half its value in the past four months during what's been dubbed a crypto winter. For Tesla, the fair market value of its Bitcoin holdings reached $2.48 billion in the first quarter of 2021, 
and ended the year at about $2 billion. The company didn't say at what price it sold or provide the size of its impairment, but Bitcoin started the second quarter at close to 46000 and ended below 19000 Analyst Brian Johnson of Barclays estimated earlier this week that Tesla would see a $460 million Bitcoin-related impairment given the sell-off. The reason we sold a bunch of our Bitcoin holdings was that we were uncertain as to when the COVID lockdowns in China would alleviate, so it was important for us to maximize our cash position, Musk said in an earnings call on Wednesday. This should not be taken as some verdict on Bitcoin, he said, adding that Tesla is open to increasing its crypto holdings in the future. However, when asked about Bitcoin's potential as an inflationary hedge on the earnings call, Musk said that Tesla's main goal is to accelerate the transition to sustainable energy, and he called Bitcoin a sideshow to a sideshow. In the first quarter of 2021, when Tesla went big on Bitcoin, the company said the decision was a matter of becoming more flexible, diversifying, and picking up returns from its cash holdings. The company quickly sold 10% as the currency ran up, contributing $100 million of profit in the period. Kirkhorn said at the time that the company's intent was to hold what we have long-term and continue to accumulate Bitcoin from transactions from our customers as they purchase vehicles. In May of last year, Musk said Tesla would stop accepting Bitcoin for car purchases because of the environmental impact of mining, but he added that the company will not be selling any Bitcoin. A week later, he tweeted emojis indicating his company has diamond hands when it comes to Bitcoin investing, and he credited our master of coin. So uh, interesting news on Tesla, didn't really move the market too much. Um, it was kind of funny because when uh, he first bought the Bitcoin, everybody in the Bitcoin space was very excited, thought it was very bullish. And, uh, you know, the space has been through so much pummeling uh, over the last couple months that this news really didn't, it was already basically baked into the price. So, uh, not a hodler, I guess, not like MicroStrategy. Uh, this isn't really a Bitcoin related article, but it's kind of related. Uh, a lot of people on Bitcoin Twitter were talking about this. Um, this is from Bitcoin news, bitcoin.com. Uh, this was published, uh, yesterday. Social media users deride China's reported use of military tanks to intimidate protesting bank customers. Some social media users have derided Chinese authorities' reported decision to deploy tanks around central banks' offices in Henan, where bank customers have been protesting against the freezing of their savings. The deployment of tanks follows reports the central bank in Henan province told the protesting clients that their savings were now investment products. This meant affected bank clients could not withdraw their savings. In some of the videos, which have since gone viral on Twitter, military tanks are seen rolling in and around the area, said to be the Bank of China's offices. The deployment of the tanks comes less than two weeks after Bitcoin.com News reported that angry bank customers had tussled with security guards protecting the premises of the Bank of China. Still some Twitter users question claims about that the videos which were posted on July 20th were shot in Henan. One user, Angelo Giuliano, insisted the video was in fact shot in Rishao City, Shangdong province, some 440 kilometers away. Nevertheless, the doubts about where the video 
was shot did not stop it from going viral and eliciting a reaction from Twitter users. As per reports, the tank deployment has led to speculation that Chinese authorities may be attempting to pacify angry customers by reminding them that the government will brutally crush the protests as it did in 1989. At that time, a student-led protest against corruption, inflation, and the country's political system sparked a brutal reaction from the government, which responded by sending armed troops to Tiananmen Square, where protesters amassed. It is thought that the deployment of the tanks, as well as images of a tank crushing a protester, eventually helped to end the demonstrations, which lasted for a month and nearly three weeks. Thousands of protesters are believed to have died during the Tiananmen protests, and more are said to have been injured. According to a report by the print, the deployment of tanks is intended to intimidate protesting bank customers, some of whom are seen in another video shoving security guards stationed at Bank of China premises and pelting them with water bottles. The Chinese mainstream media has not reported on the alleged tank deployment. Uh, so very interesting. Um, there's a lot going on in China with their banking system. Um, their uh, uh, real estate lending. Um, there's it's it's a mess, and so. Um, It'll be something worth watching for sure, how they handle that. Moving on to uh, the last piece of Bitcoin news. Again, not really directly Bitcoin. This is from CNBC, uh, July 21st. Former Coinbase manager and two others charged in crypto insider trading scheme. Three people have been charged in the first ever crypto insider trading tipping scheme, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office of the Southern District of New York and the Securities and Exchange Commission. U.S. Attorney Damien Williams charged Ishan Wahi, a former product manager at Coinbase, his brother Nikhil Wahi, and a friend Samir Rahmani with wire fraud and conspiracy and wire fraud in connection with a scheme to commit insider trading and cryptocurrency assets. The charges allege the individuals plan to use confidential Coinbase information about which crypto assets were scheduled to be listed on Coinbase's exchanges. The SEC release announcing its separate action says that at least nine of the assets were securities, a designation that suggests the SEC is taking a broader look at regulating certain classes of crypto tokens. Generally speaking, the SEC regulates securities while the Commodities Futures Trading Commission is in charge of regulating currency trading. In a blog post on Thursday afternoon, Coinbase Chief Legal Officer Paul Gruwal denied that the, com that the company uh, denied that these assets were securities and that Coinbase does not list securities on its platform, period. The U.S. Attorney's release also says that Ishan Wahi attempted to flee to India ahead of a scheduled interview by Coinbase's security department, but was prevented by law enforcement from leaving. Today's charges are a further reminder that Web3 is not a law-free zone, Williams said in the release. Our message with these charges is clear. Fraud is fraud is fraud, whether it occurs on the blockchain or on Wall Street, and the Southern District of New York will continue to be relentless in bringing fraudsters to justice wherever we may find them. Ishan Wahi and Nikhil Wahi were arrested on Thursday morning in Seattle, and Ramani remains at large. So uh, 
Very interesting. And one of the criticisms of Coinbase, of course, is that, uh, you know, when somebody creates a token and there's 20,000 of them now, uh, it gets listed on uh, some lesser known exchange. And then uh, as soon as it appears on Coinbase, because they have such a large user population, uh, people immediately buy it. And then the value of the token skyrockets. So there's certainly some uh, notable benefits to front running that. Um, uh, even though most of the currencies that are on there, uh, except for Bitcoin, are uh, pretty much worthless, in my opinion. Uh, but people do love to speculate in them. So it shall be interesting to see how this uh, moves forward and also um, where they end up with regulation on the so-called altcoins uh, that are being compared to securities um, versus the ones that are being considered commodities, of which I think Bitcoin for sure is considered a commodity, um, but there may be others. So something to watch. Okay, and then uh, finishing up here are my thoughts um, as it relates to Bitcoin as a savings technology. Bitcoin is savings technology, plain and simple. The technology behind it is complex, involving cryptography, miners that secure the network, nodes that, secure, that store exact copies of the validated blockchain, and all are part of a massive, resilient, decentralized global computer network. Sounds a lot like the internet, doesn't it? But the concept of having a scarce digital asset to deposit your savings into that will protect it from currency debasement and allow you to send it to anyone you choose without the need for a trusted third party is extremely powerful. Bitcoin is truly a major breakthrough in computer science. With the recent development of the Bitcoin Lightning Network and the many apps that can run on it, Strike and MoonWallet are just a couple of examples, it's possible to spend small amounts of Bitcoin anonymously with very simple user interface that only requires you to scan a QR code. The continued development of these so-called Layer 2 technologies will continue to increase Bitcoin's utility as a decentralized global payment infrastructure. So here are the key attributes of Bitcoin, and I think it's always important to remind ourselves about this. Number one, it's absolutely scarce. There's 21 million maximum coins. There's really nothing else in the world that has absolute scarcity like that, not even gold. Transfers are peer-to-peer -peer without an intermediary. You can send value to anyone, anywhere in the world with a computer and an internet connection. The Bitcoin network operates independently of all legacy financial systems. It's the first digital global payments infrastructure. There's no counterparty risk when you self-custody it. It's trustless. Bitcoin is not controlled by any person or group. And it's a hedge against fiat currency debasement and collapse in the same way that gold is, but it doesn't have gold's drawbacks of difficulty to validate, store, transfer, and secure, especially in large amounts. But it essentially performs the same function. So the purchasing power of the dollar 
um, has declined quite a bit over over many many years. Uh, there's actually a chart uh, in my uh, blog post that that shows this graphically. That uh, I'll include a link to the blog post in there. Um, but basically, if you go back to prior to 1920, um, a dollar bought $26.14 worth of stuff versus a dollar in 2020. So that's a pretty significant decline in purchasing power. The reason for the decline in the purchasing power over time is simple. It's inflation. So what causes inflation? And here I'll go back to my favorite quote from Milton Friedman. Inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon in the sense that it can be produced only by a more rapid increase in the quantity of money than in output. A steady rate of monetary growth at a moderate level can provide a framework under which a country can have little inflation and much growth. It will not produce perfect stability. It will not produce heaven on earth, but it can make an important contribution to a stable economic society. So what if there were a way to save that allowed you to preserve the value of your hard work so that you can buy the same amount of goods in 5, 10, 20 years from now as you can today? That's Bitcoin's fundamental design. Now, the first block of the Bitcoin blockchain, also called the Genesis block, contains the following quote. And, uh, and I'll read the article uh, because I think it's kind of an interesting uh, piece of history. Uh, this was appeared in the Times on January 3rd, 2009, and that was the date that the first Bitcoin block was mined. Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. Billions may be needed as lending squeeze tightens. Alistair Darling has been forced to consider a second bailout for banks as the lending drought worsens. The Chancellor will decide within weeks whether to pump billions more into the economy as evidence mounts that the 37 billion pound part nationalization last year has failed to keep credit flowing. Options include cash injections, offering banks cheaper state guarantees to raise money privately or buying up, quote, toxic assets, the Times has learned. The Bank of England revealed yesterday that despite intense pressure, the banks curbed lending in the final quarter of last year and plan even tighter restrictions in the coming months. Its findings will alarm the Treasury. The bank is expected to take yet more aggressive action this week by cutting the base rate from its current level of 2%. Doing so would reduce the cost of borrowing but have little effect on the availability of loans. Whitehall sources said that the ministers plan to keep the banks on the boil but accepted that they need more help to restore lending levels. Formally, the Treasury plans to focus on state-backed guarantees to encourage private finance but a number of interventions are on the table, including further injections of taxpayers' cash. Under one option, a bad bank would be created to dispose of bad debts. The Treasury would take bad loans off the hands of troubled banks, perhaps swapping them for government bonds. The toxic assets blamed for poisoning the financial system would be parked in a state vehicle or bad bank that would manage them and attempt to dispose of them while detoxifying the mainstream banking system. The idea would mirror the initial proposal by Henry Paulson, the U.S. Treasury Secretary, to underpin the American banking system. So Bitcoin was born in the aftermath of the global financial crisis, during which time the entire global financial system was on the verge of total collapse. The solution then, 
as it was before, like the dot-com crash in March of 2000. And has it, and has, and since then, um, when this is what, like in the COVID crisis of March 2020, was to flood the financial system with freshly printed dollars and other currencies, including the euro. During the global financial crisis, while some banks failed, the largest ones were shored up with government borrowing and zero or near zero federal funds rates. Homeowners who were underwater and lost their jobs also lost their homes and a large chunk of their net worth, including stock portfolios, uh, which were all wrecked. Uh, so the 2008 financial recession by the numbers, housing prices fell 31.8%. Uh, there was a $30 billion federal guarantee for a deal between Bear Stearns and J.P. Morgan Chase. The U.S. Treasury Department spent $350 billion buying ba bank and car stocks. Uh, $140 billion moved from money markets to treasury bonds. Unemployment was still above 9% in 2010. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac guaranteed 90% of all mortgages. There was a $150 billion federal bailout for AIG. And by 2010, banks had paid back $194 billion. So the global financial crisis had a major impact on me personally and was the main reason why I started my personal finance blog back in 2011. I wanted to find ways to protect my family from our obviously frail financial system and the constant series of ever greater booms and busts and also help others on this journey. That's basically how I came up with the concept of the financial fortress, a way to set up your financial affairs so you can weather the, these storms with broad diversification and a decided tilt toward real assets while maintaining a decent amount of liquidity. I didn't know it then, but the problem isn't finding a better investment, it's the system itself. And the ultimate hedge I was looking for was Bitcoin. So one way of looking at it is in a chart that was created by Nick Batia and Joe Consorti, who uh, are the authors of a blog called The Bitcoin Layer. Um, and I, again, I included a copy of the chart um, in my uh, blog post this week. But um, essentially it's a chart of, uh, of the, um, Bitcoin market cap against the global money supply. And it's quite fascinating in that Bitcoin moves almost exactly in lockstep with uh, the growth or the uh, lack of growth of the money supply. So their commentary is, is uh, and this is a quote, how does Bitcoin perform against the expansion and contraction of broad money and credit exceptionally well? Here you can see Bitcoin tracking with global money stock, indicating that purchasing Bitcoin and holding it allows your wealth to expand and contract in tandem with the debasement of central bank issued currencies. We will continue to monitor this relationship, especially as the Fed's balance sheet declines over the next many months during QT2. Now I started out in Bitcoin as an alternative investment idea in late 2017. Of course, that was the peak of the last market cycle. And other than buying small amounts until probably early 2021, I didn't do much research into Bitcoin and what it was all about. But in early 2021, I put in the time to understand the technology and its implications. I tapped into the Bitcoin community on Twitter and watched a lot of Michael Saylor videos. 
I was really influenced by Michael Saylor because he's an accomplished technology executive. He's extremely smart. And he used to be a Bitcoin skeptic. When he saw the unprecedented fiscal and monetary response to the COVID economic crisis in 2020, and the implications for returns on capital for all businesses, including his company, MicroStrategy, he realized the only way to stay ahead of the money printer was to pivot toward Bitcoin. He started by converting excess cash to Bitcoin. Of course, he didn't stop there and, and has added to his Bitcoin stack through issuing various forms of debt, equity, and continuing to use free cash flow to buy more Bitcoin. Now, some say he's crazy. Others say he's a visionary. Most people can agree he's aggressive. The more I understand Bitcoin, the higher my conviction was to add to my position and continue to learn more. By May of 2021, I was looking to buy larger amounts on pullbacks and continued dollar cost averaging. Something else happened as I got deeper into Bitcoin. I used to be very worried about financial independence, retirement, and being able to support my family in the meantime, especially during economic downturns. Oddly enough, the more I learned about Bitcoin, and the more I stacked, the less I worried about these things. Today, I know that I'm not going to have to worry about retirement or providing for my family, the recent sell-off in Bitcoin notwithstanding. That has been a tremendously liberating feeling. Perhaps as I felt more confident in my financial situation, I was better able to sift through the noise of daily life. As I continued my Bitcoin education through reading books and listening to podcasts, something else happened. I became laser focused on what matters the most to me, my family, my closest friends, health and fitness, critical thinking and education, among many other things. I also started thinking about deeper topics like purpose, and meaning, and what sort of an impact I am to make in this life, my higher purpose. I ask questions that I've never asked myself before, like, why am I here? What is my purpose? What is God's plan for me? I've always been interested in education and mentoring throughout my career, but never in a formal teaching position. For me, providing financial education is critical and sorely lacking in our society. I started out with my blog and a few self-published books. About six months ago, I launched a new podcast. Teaching people about Bitcoin has become even more important and has taken the financial education to another level. I've learned that while it's important to understand how the legacy financial system works and also the macro investing environment, actually saving in Bitcoin is pretty simple. Long story short, getting involved in Bitcoin has been transformational in my outlook on life. I've learned to enjoy every day, but also to plan ahead with a patient, low time preference view towards the future. Perhaps it's because I can strongly identify with the ethos of Bitcoin, which is sort of a digital embodiment of truth and transparency. And that is something that I always aspire to, whether in professional or personal situations. Maybe it's because Bitcoin is independent of legacy systems and it's tremendously resilient. And I can relate to those aspects as well. Maybe it's because Bitcoin provides hope to people all over the world as a place to store the fruits of their labor without fear of censorship, manipulation, or debasement. Again, that's something that's not hard to support. So wherever you are in your Bitcoin journey, I hope this has been helpful to you. Bitcoin education is never ending and always takes you on different paths. 
Some call this the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And you begin learning about Austrian economics, cryptography, the benefits of eating meat, and game theory, among many other topics. Bitcoin is savings technology, so keep it simple and just save. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Reichert. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.